Welcome to session 34 of the Bible in a Year commentary. If you started this series on the 1st of January, then today should be the 3rd of February. Today we'll be looking at Leviticus 14 to 15 and Psalm 34. But so far in Leviticus, we've explored the intricate rituals and rules that define the Israelites' relationship with God. The book began with detailed instructions on ritual sacrifices. Each served a unique purpose in affirming their commitment to God. These include the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering and the sin offering. The latter was exclusively for unintentional sins. We then read through the ordination of priests and their preparation for service. This was followed by Aaron's two sons deviating from the script and doing things their own way, leading death. This event served as a reminder of the seriousness of choosing God's way over our own. The focus then shifts to ritual purity, starting with dietary laws. Certain animals were considered ritually unclean and were forbidden. This wasn't due to health concerns, but because of their symbolic impurity. This theme of impurity then extended to the rules about childbirth. A birth takes a lot out of a woman, so they were forced to withdraw from society for a period of time. This was seen as a recovery period, a time to regain wholeness before re-entering God's presence. We read as skin diseases are also addressed. They served as a metaphor. They showed the spread and impact of sin and the need for purification. Being whole and pure had nothing to do with character or moral standing. Living in a fallen world meant at times God's people were contaminated or lacking. The important part is that God made a way to address these so that we could enjoy his presence. And this is where we pick up today in Leviticus 14, to 15. Carrying on from yesterday's reading, we get the instructions for what to do once someone is clear of skin disease. Next is a very similar process for what to do if someone has a disease, a mold or fungus growing in their house. Just like leprosy, this is another clear metaphor for how sin works. Again, just like sin, mold will contaminate a space and then spread uncontrollably unless dealt with. God really wants to drill down into his people to do everything you can to deal with the disease so it doesn't spread. In the same way, we have to do everything we can to deal with sin so it doesn't spread. We actually see the Bible make the link between the two even clearer. In both the case of the skin disease and the house disease, the key part is mentioned in the cleaning ritual. In both cases, they are to be cleansed by hyssop, basically a small branch. Look at Leviticus 14, verses 67 and verse 51. Later on in the Bible, we'll get to Psalm 51. This is a famous psalm of repentance, apologising for and turning away from your sin. The story behind it is that King David has slept with another man's wife, got her pregnant, then killed the man and married the woman to cover up his mistake. Having realised what he's done, he comes to God and repents. He then says this line, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. That's Psalm 51 verse 7. David could see how his sin had contaminated him, just as much as his skin disease or his mold would. And so after the only thing he knows that can cleanse a contamination, hyssop dipped in animal blood. Fortunately, we don't need hyssop dipped in animal blood, because we have Jesus's blood shed on the cross. But the point still applies to us. Just like when we have a disease or cancer, we recognise we need to deal with it so it doesn't spread. That's how we need to view our sin. Coming back to Leviticus, we then get rules for men and women with discharges of bodily fluid. Again, this is just to reinforce the idea of being spiritually clean if we wanted to enter God's 
presence. God didn't want to mix sex with worshipping him. We've mentioned before how other nations would come to worship and give sacrifices and then have sex because it pleased their gods. This is not the case with the God of Israel. There were also times when an unexpected discharge was caused by disease or illness. So again, that needed to be dealt with before they could come before God. In short, the last seven chapters have all been about making clear the point, God wants you to be clean and pure and whole before him. In the Old Testament, that was achieved through animal sacrifice. In the New Testament, that's achieved by Jesus' death and resurrection and our continual submission to him. Let's jump in with Psalm 34. This psalm fits into the category of thanksgiving psalm. It's attributed to King David and to a specific occasion, though there's some debate over what it means. In 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 to 15, we have a story of David escaping Israel on the run from Saul. Upon entering the land over Gath, some people point out that David is an important leader from Israel and could be useful to them. Realising the danger he might be in, David pretends to be mad, and the king, Achish, wants nothing to do with him. The problem with this is that the Psalm 34 specifically mentions that David did this before Abimelech, the name of his son. It may be that David pulled the same trick with his son, or that Achish went by two names. Either way, 1 Samuel 21, 10-15 gives us an idea of the kind of context this psalm comes from. The psalm is structured in an acrostic where each verse begins with a different letter of the alphabet. Here is a summary of the structure, but I would recommend checking out the written version of this commentary in the description to see the structure properly for yourself. So we start with verses 1 to 3, I will bless the Lord. Verses 4 to 7, the Lord rescue those who call out to him. Verses 8 to 10, seek the Lord and taste and see that he is good. Verses 11 to 14, advice to pursue good and avoid evil. Verses 15 to 18, the Lord is toward the righteous and against the wicked. And verses 19 to 22, the Lord will redeem the righteous and condemn the wicked. The psalm opens with a call to praise God with the psalmist. They shall praise him continuously at all times. We then found out why the psalmist wants to praise God. Because they sought the Lord and he answered. Blessed are those who seek God because he will rescue and deliver them. The psalmist then encourages others to seek God. Taste and see that he is good. Seek him with appropriate fear. They offer guidance and wisdom. This is a logical progression. As in Hebrew thinking, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You'll read that in Proverbs 9 verse 10. The wisdom of the psalmist offers is to avoid evil and pursue good. The reason for this is that God is for those who are righteous, but he's against those who do evil. When the righteous cry out for help, he hears and delivers them. He cares for those who are broken hearted. The psalmist that ends with an encouragement. Though it might feel like your struggles and your afflictions are many, God will deliver you from them all. In fact, the wicked that oppress you will one day get what they deserve, but God will redeem you. From this psalm, we are reminded of the fact that we are to seek God and pursue righteousness. When we do these things, God will redeem and rescue us.